Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Father, this morning we do acknowledge you as our hope, the hope of our lives, the hope of nations, the hope of the world. As Father, as that song, the words of that song we just sang say so eloquently, so beautifully, the cross is spoken and I am forgiven. And so we thank you for not only that hope, but that promise, that guarantee that because of the finished work of Jesus, our sins are forgiven, we can have a right relationship with you. And so Father, we step into that. We acknowledge that and we accept that. Thank you for loving us the way you do. Thank you for this opportunity to be together, to sing our praises to you, to acknowledge you, the one who gives hope, the one who gives forgiveness. And Father, now we ask you to teach us as we read together and study together from the pages of Scripture. Would your ancient words through your Holy Spirit speak to our modern minds? Would they move in our heads and down to our hearts? Would they make us different today? Well, they moved our hands and feet so we might love better those around us. That's our prayer in the name of Jesus, our living hope. Amen. You can be seated. Well, glad that we get to be together this morning. Glad we get to spend some time uh, this weekend together. I want to mention a couple things to you, kind of by way of announcement to let you know some things that are going on. Um, we've said the last couple of weeks, I want to continue to remind you, um, those of you who give online, we are changing our online giving platform. We're in that process of making that change. If you have not yet uh, switched over to the new giving platform and you're a regular giver online, uh, you want to do that before the end of this month. Uh, February 1st, the old platform will go kaput and uh, it won't be a around anymore. If you need some help, uh, Brian and Ricky will be out in the atrium again this morning after service. They'd love to help you make that switch um, if you need some assistance with that. So if you haven't done that yet, please do that. Uh, one of the things that we've kind of taken on as an initiative here at the Faith Christian over the last several months is um, some food um, food stuff. We, are, we recognize there's some food insecurity, um, both in our community and around the world, and we're going to do what we can uh, to help with that. Uh, one of the things we've done is uh, we've participated with the Blessings in the Backpack program here locally in New Philly, and also with the Tough Bags program, which is kind of the same idea, but around the county, and we'll continue to, to do that. And uh, once a month, we pack bags. We go to the warehouse, and uh, a group of folks, about 20 or so, have been coming every month so far to help pack those backpacks to go home with, uh, with local school students at the end of the week. Uh, that's one of the things we've been doing to help with food insecurity. The other um, is uh, we've partnered with Lifeline Christian Mission for a lot of years on a lot of different projects. And one of their projects is to uh, pack food bags that get shipped overseas. And we're going to uh, join them in packing some bags, these food bags. And uh, on February 4th, that's the two weeks from today, uh, right after our morning service, we're going to ask you to not go home. We're going to provide lunch. And then we're going to set up a bunch of tables. And it's going to be kind of like a warehouse in here. And we're going to pack food bags. Our goal that day is to pack 10,000 bags. And uh, we need your help. We can't, I'm, I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. So I need you to be here to help me. Uh, this is literally any age person can do this. If you've got kids with you, bring them. 
You got older folks with you? We'll find a stool for you to sit on, or a chair. That's fine. We need everyone to make this happen. Our goal is to pack 10,000 bags. Part of that goal is also to raise, uh, to provide for those bags, and to, to continue to bless uh, blessings with the backpack and tough bags, is to raise between now and the end of February $6,000, above and beyond our normal giving, $6,000 to fund these initiatives for food. So if you can give toward that, uh, you want to mark your check um, that you put in the box in the back of meals, um, or if you give online, just go under the special offerings page for that. Uh, I got a quick video I want to show you about the food packing event. So if you'll direct your attention to the screen, uh, you can see that and you'll know what's going on. Again, that's February 4th. Go ahead and watch this video. What difference does a meal make? A meal means everything to someone whose community is experiencing a famine. Someone whose family is living in a refugee camp or someone who's struggling to make ends meet. The meals you pack empower students to grow in knowledge. The meals you pack support moms and dads as they provide for their family. The meals you pack give stability to families who live in uncertainty. A meal sparks hope for a better future. A meal makes a difference for a child, a family, a community. And when a healthy meal is given in Jesus' name, that can change everything. Like I mentioned a minute ago, we, uh, we've partnered with Lifeline Christian Mission on a lot of projects through the years, and we're continuing to partner with them, both in this food packing event. Uh, we're looking at a couple of uh, short-term trips uh, coming up later this year, so stick tuned, uh, stay tuned for more information about those, how you can get involved and maybe take a trip either to Cuba or back to Arizona uh, for those projects we've been a part of for a long time. Uh, again, the, the food packing event, it's February 4th. That's two weeks from today, and it'll be right after our morning service, so just plan to be here till like 3, 3.30 or something like that on that day and help us get these 10,000 bags packed. Uh, Lifeline will be here to help with that as well. So we'll look forward to sharing that day. Uh, We are in week two of a sermon series that I'm calling How to Be Rich. And the idea of this series is not how to get rich. Um, Some of you know how to do that. I don't. Um, So I can't tell you. But I can tell you how to be rich because the Bible says a lot about how to be rich, especially how to be good at being rich. Now, I need to be honest with you um, as we get going today. I probably should have said this last week, but uh, I'll I'll say it this week. I get a little nervous uh, as, as your preacher as the guy who stands up here and is on the camera and is in front of you on the stage. I get a little nervous every time I preach about money, about wealth, about giving, because I know, I know what the stereotypes are. All preachers talk about is money. All that church wants is my money. There's the stereotype that there's a hidden motivation behind me teaching this. And so I know the stereotypes are out there. And the reason I know the stereotypes are out there is because I have heard all of the jokes. Like this one. Did you hear about the lady who went to see the pastor at the Presbyterian church? She wasn't a member of the church, but she was looking for some spiritual advice. So she says to the pastor, my beloved little dog died. Would you preach his funeral? Well, it was one of the weirdest requests this pastor had ever received, and I'll just tell you, as a pastor, we get a lot of weird requests. <laughs> but he was very kind. 
He was very pastoral towards this lady, and he said to her, ma'am, I'm so sorry for your loss, but, but I don't do funerals for pets. Maybe you could try the Baptist preacher down the street. She said, okay, I will, but, but could you help me with something else? Because I, I don't want to offend him. Would it be appropriate if I offered him $1,000 for doing my dog's funeral? The pastor said, wait a second, lady. You didn't tell me your dog was a Presbyterian. I know, it's awful. I've heard dozens of jokes like that. I've heard them all. And so I get the stereotype. So as we continue this conversation about wealth, about how to be rich, about money, um, I need to let you know a couple of things. The first one is this, and, and I, you, you need to be sure, I, I, need, I need to be sure that you know this. I personally, Larry, I do not know what, if, how much, how little one single person in this church gives. I am not privy to that information. I do not have access to that information. I do not want access to that information. So if you think, I say something today, and you think, well, he's talking right to me. I am, but not because of that reason. Not because of what you think. I'm talking to you right, I'm talking right to you today because the whole, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And the Holy Spirit will work in this room. I'm talking to you today because, and here's number two, there is nothing in the world, you need to know about this about me, there's nothing in the world I like to do more than teach Jesus and to help you become a fully committed follower of Jesus. And if you are here last week, you heard me say, I cannot teach the words of Jesus and not talk about money. Because one out of every eight lines that Jesus said was about money. Jesus talks more about money than about prayer. And if I'm going to honestly and sincerely and with integrity teach you how to follow Jesus, we have to talk about money because Jesus talked about money all the time. But he never asked anyone for money, which I think is interesting. But he was constantly making your money his business because Jesus was on a mission. And the mission was not to make partially committed followers. His mission was to make fully committed followers. And I am under orders from the Holy Spirit to talk to you about wealth, about how to be rich, about your money. Not talk, actually, the word in 1 Timothy, chapter 6, we're going to read it together in a second. The word is command. I am under the Holy Spirit's orders to command those who listen to me. And that word command comes right out of the text that we're using for this series. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. I read this to you last week, and we're, gonna just, we're camping in, this, in this, this little passage of Scripture all throughout this series. And I need you to, I need somehow for, um, to, to, to make this, these verses sit on you. I need you to, to, to own these. And so I'm going to ask you to read these out loud with me today. It's just, we read them out loud. It helps us learn them. And, and even more so, we're going to do something we've never done before. This is something we used to do in Bible college all the time. As we read scripture together today, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And we're going to, out of respect for God's word, we're going to stand together and we're going to read these verses from 1 Timothy 6, chapter 17 through 19. We're going to read these three verses out loud together and let them just hover over us as we have our conversation. Go ahead and stand up with me. Out of respect for God's word, let's read Paul's words to this young protege, Timothy, and to us. Let's read it together. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, 
which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. May God bless the reading of his word to his people. You can be seated. Last week, I told you that the scriptures affirm three truths about rich people. The first one is this. And by the way, if you didn't, if you weren't here last week or you missed last week's lesson, please uh, get on the website, get on the podcast, and, and you want to catch up with this. Uh, here's the first truth. Three things that the, the Bible affirms about rich people. God loves rich people. Number two is God saves rich people. And the third one is this. It's hard to save rich people. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to completely surrender their life to God. Now, let me be clear. The Bible doesn't say that it's bad to be rich. The Bible says that most rich people are just bad at it. I told you last year, last time, in my 30-ish years of being a pastor, I have become absolute, absolutely convinced that prosperity is harder on faith than adversity. I have seen many times where people have gone through great adversity, ad adversity, and they humble themselves, they're called out to God, and they've walked closer to God ever since. Even through the tragedy. They would say, I, don't wanna, I would never want to go through it again. But I drew so much closer to God because I went through that, whether it was a financial situation, a relationship situation, a health situation. But I am still waiting in 30 years of doing this. I am still waiting for someone to say, it was receiving great wealth that drew me closer to God. It was when I got that big windfall, that's what drove me to my knees to find God. Listen again to the words of the Apostle Paul. Same chapter we just read together, uh, but a little earlier, just a couple of verses before the, the part we read. Here, here's what Paul says, again, writing to Timothy. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You need to understand when Paul writes these words, he is not just making some general observation. When he writes these words, some have wandered from the faith. He's seeing faces. He was a pastor. He started churches all over the world. And when he wrote these words, in his mind, he's seeing faces. Faces of real people. People he loved deeply. And now he grieved deeply for them because they used to be serious about Jesus. But they craved money. And now they weren't any longer. And can I just tell you? When I read those words, I see faces too. Faces of people I went to, to Bible college with. And I remember in college how much together, how much we loved the things of Jesus. But they left that long time ago when they got rich. I see faces of people who used to sit here 
and listen to me preach every Sunday, and they've been gone a long time. I see faces of people, and the more they acquired wealth, the less they desired God. You know, physics teaches us that the greater the mass, the greater the gravitational force. Well, it seems like the more people amass and accumulate, the greater the gravitational force is to pull them away from the things of God. And that's why Jesus made your money his business. In Matthew 6, we have what's probably the most radical thing that Jesus ever said about, about the topic of money. He says this in verse, uh, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. No one can serve two masters. The person will hate one master and love the other or will follow one master and refuse to follow the other. You cannot serve both God and worldly riches. Please notice Jesus did not say you cannot serve God and Satan. That's not what he says here. Because Jesus understands how the enemy operates. And Satan is not going to come after you in a little red suit with a pitchfork. He's going to come after you with green ink and a checkbook. Satan is a liar. And the great lie that he has told is that money is a functional savior. Satan understands people. He knows that people want a sense of identity. He knows that people want security. He knows that people want a sense of purpose. And the great lie is that money can give you all of that. So when Jesus talks about money, he does something pretty radical, something we don't expect. Here's what he says. When Jesus talks about money, he says God doesn't view money as neutral. I know your economics classes teach you that. But God doesn't view money as neutral. God views money as a rival. And Jesus does not talk about money like it's just a, a commodity that needs to be stewarded. He talks about money like it is a seductive power that needs to be subdued. That you cannot enthrone the true God if you're not intentionally dethroning the powers behind the money God. And no, Jesus says you can't multitask on this one. You can't multitask because a lot of us think it's both and. I can serve God and I can serve money. Jesus says, no, you can't. He doesn't say it's inadvisable. He says it's impossible. He doesn't say you should not do it, you ought not do it. He says you cannot do it. And here's why. It is morally impossible for God to accept second place. Let that sink in. Let me, let me say that again. It is morally impossible for God to accept second place because God is who he is. Because he is the God, the one we've been singing about today. You will never put a silver medal around God's neck. You see, to do that, God would have to lie about himself, about who he is, about what he is doing. That's why Jesus says you can't do it. Not because you can't try to do it, but because God won't accept it. God will never accept a silver medal. There's a great account from the life of Jesus that this young man, we call him the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus one time, he's very wealthy, he's a leader, and he asks Jesus, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What's the secret? I've done all everything the law commands. What is it that I still need to do? Jesus knew that this young man was trying to multitask. He was thinking, 
I can do it. I can serve God and serve money. I'm a rich man. And so Jesus said to this rich young ruler, get rid of your money. Get rid of your money. It's in the way of God. And so the young man, if you remember the story, the young man, when hearing Jesus say, if you want, you got to get rid of your money. It's in the way. The young man walks away. He walks away because he couldn't do it. And here's the kicker to this story. Jesus lets him walk away. I wonder if most churches would. I'm sure he was a good dude. I'm sure he was moral. I'm sure he was kind. I I bet he was even really generous. But Jesus let him walk away because Jesus can't lie and say, you know what? I guess I'll settle for some of your worship. I guess I'll settle for you to be a partially committed follower. I guess I'll settle for second place. So each week, as we go through this series, I'm giving you a principle from this text, something we can take home, something we can put into practice in our lives. Last week, if you were here, the principle is you must be humble about your wealth. You've got to be humble about it. Here's this, this week's principle. To be good at being rich, you must trust God more than your wealth. If we're going to do this right, we have to trust God more than we trust our wealth. Listen, this is not easy. Matter of fact, it's really, really hard. Listen again to the scripture. You read this just a minute ago out loud. This is 1 Timothy 6, 17. Tell them to hope in God, not in uncertain riches. So we have to accept the reality that our riches, our wealth, is uncertain. You can have a dual citizenship, but you cannot have a dual lordship. A follower of Jesus can't have competition for your ultimate hope. Uh, some years ago, I think I've even told you this story before, but uh, there's, a, there's a great book called Halftime. It's written by a guy by the name of Bob Buford. If you're a leadership or a business kind of person, read this book. Great book. The book is about focusing on finishing strong in the second half of your life. Halftime is the name of the book. Bob, um, Bob Buford, who wrote the book, he is a Christian um, he is a very wealthy Christian. He's been successful in the communication industry. That's how he built his wealth. And he's in a meeting. He had this mentor, this uh, kind of life planner, life coach that he would, would sit down with on a regular basis. And the guy would kind of talk him through how to be an executive and how to do all these things. And so he's in a meeting with this executive, this uh, executive coach, this life coach, his advisor, who was not a Christian, was not a follower of Jesus, but he has been Bob's, you know, had Bob's ear for, for decades at this point. And he's really helped Bob Buford through a lot of the important business and life decisions in his life. So there's a strong trust there. Well, they're in this conversation, in this session with his advisor, and Bob was shocked one day when the advisor reached down and pulled out a piece of paper and started kind of doing some scratches on the piece of paper and said, Bob, you have to stop oscillating. I'm like, what? He goes, sometimes I talk to you and it sounds like Jesus is the most important thing in your life. And sometimes I talk to you and it sounds like making money is the most important thing in your life. So he drew a box. I've got a little picture. He drew a box on the paper. And on one side of the box, he put a cross. On the other side of the box, he put, he put a dollar sign. And he says to Bob, some days this is most, seems to be most important. Some days this seems to be most important. So Bob, I want you to put one of these in the box. 
And I don't care, Bob. I don't care which one you put in the box. Just put one of these in the box because whatever you put in the box is the thing that is the most important to you. And once you decide which is the most important, then I can help you plan the second half of your life. Well, Bob Buford says this was a defining moment for him. And he put a cross in the box. And he said, from this day forward, I still made money. But from that day forward, my business was a platform, not an end. And you know what? You and I have to make the same decision every day. How am I going to dethrone the seductive powers behind the money God so that God the Father stays where he belongs? So I'm going to tell you how to do that. I'm going to give you a sentence today. It's a, it's a, it's a long sentence. It's a hard sentence. It's difficult, but it's a good sentence. It's one sentence. I'm going to break it into three parts to help us understand it, all right? Here's the sentence. Here's the, well, the first part of the sentence. When we give God our first, now, I, I'm going to have to talk about tithing for just a little bit here. Tithe is a Bible word for tenth, a tenth, a ten percent. I like the story of the middle-aged couple who came to see the pastor. Um, hey, hey, pastor, will you do us a favor? Um, the, the, the wife says, my father is older, and he's kind of frail, and we just found out that he has inherited $50 million from a relative that we didn't even know about. And the pastor says, well, what's the problem? That's great news. Uh, well, pastor, they said, we're afraid that the shock of this news will give him a heart attack. Well, he'll just go into shock and have a heart attack. Would you go tell him for us? He trusts you. You have a long relationship with him. You've been his pastor for decades. You're so good with words. Would you go tell him, give him this news? So the pastor went to see the old man. And he said, hey, what's, what's the most money you ever made in your life? The guy thought about it for a minute. He goes, you know what, the year I retired... I made $85,000 that year. Wow, that's great. But, but what would you do? What would you do if you found out that you had $50 million? The old man kind of smiled and said, well, the first thing I would do would be uh, give a tithe to my church. Well, you guessed it. The pastor went into shock and had a heart attack. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the tithe for a minute because this is important. The tithe is more than just an amount. The tithe is an order. You don't give God first by giving him last. Let me show you what I mean. In the Old Testament, there's this moment where God has saved his people, Israel. They've been slaves in Egypt, Egyptian bondage for, for generations, hundreds of years and God saves them and he brings them out from Egypt and he's taking them to the promised land they're wandering in the desert and God is teaching his people how to live all they've known is slavery, bondage he's teaching them how to live listen to Exodus 13 God said, through Moses says to his people you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb all the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord uh, a couple of chapters later, Exodus, Exodus 22, you must give me the firstborn of your sons. Next chapter, Exodus 23, bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Are you getting the point? Tithing is not giving God a tenth. Tithing is giving God the first tenth because 
Where you put your first is where you put your hope. He's saying to the people, if you've got 10 lambs, you give God, if you've got 10 lambs and and then you give God the 10th lamb, that is not a tithe. You give God the first lamb because you are believing that God is going to give you more lambs. And when the crop comes in, and you fill up your barn and you give God what's left over even if that's a lot that's not a tithe a tithe is you give God the first crops that come in because you put your hope in God that he is going to give you the rest of the harvest tithing is accepting reality that God is the source of my blessing that God is a faithful provider that God is the reason that I do not have to be afraid of the future and hear this because God is who he is He can only accept first. When we give God our first, that's the first part of sentence. Here's the second part. When we give God our first and we give God our best. You see, tithing is not as much about quality or or is as much about quality as it is about quantity. Nothing we're going through in life, health situation, financial situation, relational situation, nothing we go through in life changes who God is. And nothing we go through in life changes what God is due. And giving of our tithe, giving of our selves, or living act of worship, should reflect his character, not my circumstances. For for example, there was a time in Israel where, where financial hardship abounded. And the people of God were in a bad way. There was corruption in the priesthood. And some of the people were thinking, well, I'm not taking my tithe to that temple not under this circumstance, not because of this. Here's what God says in Malachi 1. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. God says, what you bring to me tells me what you think of me. Can I say that again? God says, what you bring to me tells me what you think of me. Why? That no matter what you're going through, why would you not think that I'm first and best? I think I've told you many times the the, the story that Paul Harvey used to tell years ago around Thanksgiving time. The Butterball Turkey Company got a phone call on their turkey hotline. Yeah, it's a real thing. They've got a turkey hotline. And the woman on the call, the woman who called the turkey hotline, explained to Butterball that she had just found a turkey in the bottom of her deep freezer. They figured it out. They looked at the numbers, figured out the turkey had been in that freezer for at least 10 years. And so she asked the hotline, is it okay if I cook the turkey? Is it going to be safe? And the customer service operator said, well, yeah. If it's been frozen the whole time, It will be safe to eat the turkey, but it will have lost all of its flavor. It just won't taste very good. She says, the lady says, oh, that's what I thought. I'll just give it to the church. You see, we give our best where we hope the most. We give our best where we hope the most. Proverbs 3 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best the best part of everything you produce then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good grape juice just seeing if you're paying attention and now I know you're not okay 
which brings up a really good point. God wants the best in everything. God wants your best in everything. So when you're listening to the preacher, are you giving your full attention? When you're singing worship songs, do you give him the best, even if it's a song you don't like? Is that what God wants? God wants first. God wants best. And here's why. That's what he gave you. That's what he gave you. Have you ever thought about Jesus being God's tithe to you? Jesus was heaven's first and best. Colossians 1 says he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, God's whole salvation plan, God's whole idea of how he could bring you and me as rebellious children back into his family demanded that God give up his first and his best. But that's what people in love do. And Jesus knows you cannot give your best to two different loves. So the Holy Spirit says, command the rich to put their hope in God. You see, when we give God our first and we give God our best, we are giving God our trust. That's the rest of the sentence. When we give God our first and we give God our best, we are giving God our trust. And trust is God's love language. It's been the big question since the very beginning. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis. This was the lie that the enemy told. Is God trustworthy? Can you count on God? Does God want what's best for you or is he holding back? Is he holding out on you? Is there something or someone more certain than God? Here's the irony. We do believe that God is trustworthy in some things. In fact, we are more willing to give God our sins than we are the first and the best of our wealth. God, I'm trusting you to take care of my eternity, but I'm not sure if you're going to come through next year or not, so I'm going to hold back and take care of myself first. Satan will take that arrangement every time every time because it leads to people wandering away from the faith and if you want to be good at being rich you must trust God more than your wealth and you do that by trusting God with your wealth Jesus says in Matthew 6 seek first there's that word again first seek first the, God's kingdom and what he wants then all your other needs will be met as well listen to me you can count on God and those that are good at being rich are certain that God is more certain than their wealth. Oh, by the way, those who are good and poor, they're certain about that too. So let me wrap it up with this statement. Judge my theology. What, theology is the fancy word for saying what I believe about God, what I think about God. Judge my theology by my generosity. Judge what I really believe, what I really think about God by what I do with wealth. Because Jesus knows you can have all kinds of orthodoxy in your head, but still have all kinds of idols 
in your heart. But where we put our wealth is the clearest indicator of where we have put our hope, and that is why Jesus makes your money his business. What I do with my wealth tells you more than anything else, tells you what I believe about God. And I believe God is rich. He is rich in grace. He is rich in mercy. God is rich in being good. And when we believe that, we will be good and rich. Let me pray for you. Community team, go ahead and take your places. God, today I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would take this teaching and cause every listener to receive what they need to receive from it today. Make us more certain than we have ever been, God, that Jesus was telling the truth, that you can't serve God and money. There's only one gold medal. And give us, God, more courage than we've ever had to choose wisely. Because only one God is eternal. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.